Well, good morning. It is so good, so very good uh, to see everybody here today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for worship. Also, thank you uh, to everybody who's joining us online. We're so glad that you are a part of our service today. I wanna welcome you again uh, to our Summer Songs series as we are continuing to study uh, different psalms in the book of Psalms. And today we're going to be studying the very first psalm, Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is what scholars call a wisdom psalm. And that means that its purpose is to teach us the best way to live. Now, we don't know who actually wrote this psalm. Many believe that it was composed very intentionally to open the entire book of Psalms to kind of set the stage and set the direction of the entire book. It is written to as an introduction for everything that follows. And I wanna describe it this way. Psalm one is all about walking in God's blessing. Walking in God's blessing. Anybody interested in that? Well, let's listen to the word of the Lord as we read it together. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say, amen. amen. Well, let me just give it straight to you. The core idea of Psalm one is this, God offers all his followers, a path to true happiness. And it's a way, this is key, that we must choose to walk. See, Psalm 1 is addressing one of the most important questions that every human being deals with every day. It's that question, how can I be happy? And the reality is, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but everyone wants to be happy. There are no exceptions even the miserable people that you know, right? Have you ever said about someone, they're not happy unless they're miserable? They are, for some reason, even if it's twisted around and upside down, they have decided that this is the path to greater happiness, to be miserable, right? Everybody wants to be happy. So the question for us becomes this, how can I be happy? How can I be happy? Psalm one tells us how. But it also is telling us that this happiness, true happiness, it never just happens. Happiness, which the psalmist calls blessing, always comes from the choices that we make. And you will notice as we read Psalm 1 that uh, it's telling us that true happiness involves a walk. We have to walk in a certain way. We have to walk God's way. And so I'm gonna ask that question and try to answer that question this morning, how do I walk God's way? And you probably notice this reading through the Bible, the, the Bible often uses walking as a picture of living. Those words walk and live are often interchangeable in scripture. And I was thinking about it this way, maybe you've noticed when you're on a walk, looking is really important. Has anybody ever discovered when you're walking like with one of these that looking is very important? 
I see those hands, yes, yes. See, looking is very important when we're on a, a walk. And so to help you remember what we're gonna talk about today, I wanna show you three kinds of looking that we need to do as we walk, the kinds of looking that lead to God's blessing. The first one is this, you need to look around. And what that means is you need to learn to say no to the world's ways. You need to look around. You need to be aware of what's going on around you, all around you in the world. You need to, to begin to truly see what it is the world is telling you, how it is the world is, is seeking every day to, to shape your thoughts and to, and to mold your actions. See, true happiness is never gonna come if you just kind of go along with the flow. You have to look around. And as you look, walking God's way means that you learn to say no to the world's ways. Or maybe I could put it this way. True happiness always begins with a negative. Blessed is the man, verse one says, who does not walk, does not walk, notice, in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. That very first word gives us the very central point of this psalm, this word blessed. It means, as I've already kind of suggested, happy, but not happiness that's based on happenstance. Happiness is, is never about our circumstances. The root idea of the Hebrew word translated blessed is approval. When we bless God or uh, praise God, interchangeable, it's a way of giving our approval to God, of valuing him. When God blesses us, he's expressing his approval of us. And this raises a very fundamental question about experiencing true happiness. And maybe you should write this down and maybe you should think about it this week. And it's this, do you want God's approval more than anything else? Or I could ask it this way, whose approval competes with God's approval in your life? Is it your parents, your spouse? Some of you parents, it's actually your kids. Is it your employer? Do you want God's approval more than the approval of our culture? See, as long as we're looking for the approval or the, the blessing of anyone or anything else, we're gonna miss out on walking in God's blessing. Now, in this verse, this first verse, the psalmist tells us three things that we need to learn to say no to if we want to walk in God's blessing. And this is so important to understand. I wanna say it again. Finding happiness requires saying no, and that's so important for this very reason in this year and time in which we live. It's so important because our culture always is telling us happiness is about yes, right? Never say no to yourself. Always say yes to yourself. If you want it, you deserve it. You know, that's what our culture is always telling us, but the Bible is so very clear. In this broken world, joy, happiness, blessing always begins with no. First, here's the first way. To walk God's way, we must say no to the world's advice. Okay, blessed, uh, the psalmist writes, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So don't listen to them. Don't take their advice on how to be happy. Have you ever thought about that? 
I mean, think about the people in our culture, in our world at large that you look to, and maybe you don't even realize that that's part of the problem, but you're looking to them to find out how it is that you're gonna be happy. Have you ever asked the question, are all these people telling you how to be happy? Are they happy? Do they know true joy and peace and fulfillment? And if they don't, and many of them don't, right? (laughs) Then I have a question, why are you listening to them? Why are you listening to them? Why should they tell you how to live? You know, we, we see all these famous or beautiful or wealthy people and we think if we could just be like them, if we could just have what they have, then we'd be what? Happy. And yet, how often does the curtain kind of get pulled back eventually and we describe that these people we've looked to and wish we were like, the reality is they're not happy. (laughs) They have everything we think it takes to be happy and yet so very often they're miserable and they're lonely and they're desperate. Now, Whenever we find ourselves thinking, you know, I need this and I want that, I gotta have it. I mean, because we think it's gonna make us happy, we should also be asking ourselves, am I listening to the counsel of the wicked? Now, I think it's important that I make sure you understand what the psalmist is talking about when he uses this word, wicked. Because he's not, talking about serial killers and sex traffickers, pornographers, pedophiles. He's not talking about genocidal dictators or abusive parents. Many people who are what the Bible calls wicked are are people you wouldn't mind living next door to. Outwardly, they may be pretty decent, pretty kind, They may be what we call good people. And biblically speaking, what constitutes ultimately a a wicked person is this. They have no place for God in their lives. Biblically defined, wickedness is more about being self-centered rather than God-centered. It's more about following self rather than God. It's more about that rather than a particular set of actions that we have determined to be evil and wicked. It's kind of interesting to see the root of the Hebrew word translated wicked. It it means unrest. People without God in their lives are restless. They don't know true happiness or blessing. It's like they're always searching, always reaching for what is just beyond their grasp, trying to find that thing that's missing in their lives and they don't know what it is and they can't find it. And again, again, if that's the case, why? Why should we, God's people, look to them for advice, counsel, how to be happy. Now I wanna be really clear about what I'm saying here. This does not mean that you separate yourself completely from people who don't know God. This does not mean that you don't get to know people who are living without God. You must do that, you are called to do that. It's all right to establish friendships with them. You wanna share the Lord with them as God gives you opportunity. This does not mean that you're looking down on them thinking they're, they're not as good as you, you're better than them. You should be reminded that you only know God's blessing by God's grace that you did nothing to deserve it, amen? And what this means here, what I'm telling you is this, this is just that you don't make decisions based on their way of thinking. 
You don't let them guide your life. Now, I think you know that thinking always leads to action and the psalmist ties these two together. The second thing we must say no to is the world's actions. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Now again, the, uh, the word sinner, it, it means uh, someone who is in habitual rebellion against God. It's talking about a lifestyle. And again, I wanna emphasize, you, you can be in habitual rebellion against God and still be a good neighbor, still be kind of a nice person. And actually, reality probably is that some of you here right now, right here in this room, you're living in habitual rebellion against God. And maybe no one else knows, but God knows. See, what the psalmist is telling us, his point is that if you truly wanna be happy, make sure you are not following the lifestyle of those who rebel against God. And then third, he tells us we must say no to the world's attitudes. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. Now, did you catch the progression in these phrases? It goes from walking to standing to sitting. And what the psalmist is describing very intentionally is this increasing identification with the world. See, if you take the world's counsel advice, you'll begin to act like the world. And if you begin to act like the world, soon you will adopt the world's attitudes, mindset. Sitting here refers to kind of this full identification with the world. Sitting's what you do when you settle down. You, you rest when you sit. You spend time when, when you sit. So this person is it's sitting, not standing. That means he's fully involved with mockers. He shares their attitudes. This word translated mockers re- re- refers to people who laugh at God, who ridicule the things of God. And so you put it all together and the psalmist is just telling us, if you wanna be truly happy, if you wanna walk in God's blessing, make sure you completely distance yourself by, from those who by their, their uh, attitudes and by their actions and by their advice, they are mocking the things of God. Now I was thinking this week as I was looking at what I wanted to share with you that some of you might be thinking about this point in the message that this all sounds so obvious, Mike, I don't even kind of know why you're bothering to, to talk about it. But here's really where I wanna drill down for a few moments because here's the reality. And if you think about it, you'll know it's true. So many times, it's not that obvious. Has anyone else ever discovered that Satan and his schemes to distract and derail God's people are often very subtle? Some of us, We are trying to find happiness in material things. We're spending all kinds of money on bigger houses and more expensive cars and more luxurious vacations. And we're saying to ourselves, well, I'm doing it for the kids. So often, and I could give a lot of examples, so often we're drawn into the world's ways slowly over a long period of time. The steps that we are taking are so small that they're almost imperceptible. It's tens of thousands of Instagram photos where beauty and pleasure and luxury and materialism are exalted and God is ignored. 
It's God only knows how many hours of watching shows on Netflix and Hulu and Prime Video that tell stories where God is mocked and Christians are always stupid and narrow-minded and the intelligent people who live the world's ways, well, they're always the coolest and the happiest. And we have just absorbed it all and sometimes we don't even realize how our thinking is being turned. You know, I'm confident I'm confident that, that some of us here right now have decided to set aside what God's word teaches so clearly on marriage and gender because of the mocking going on all around us every day. And, and I'm thinking sometimes we, we don't even see what's happening because it's, it's just part of the cultural air that, that we're breathing and we're all breathing it. I'm breathing it. Every one of us is breathing it. We live in what uh, historians and philosophers call a, a secular age, which just basically means that people today think that the world uh, that we can see and touch and taste and smell, that's all there is. You live once and then you die. Then you're worm food, nothing more. I wanna tell you something very important. I hope you'll begin to ponder this. Many of us, even in the church, even those who know God, many of us have come to think that, that this secular mindset is the default mode of existence. And, and we see any kind of religious belief, including our own, in contrast to that. And I'm not gonna explain this today, but I'm gonna say it right now. Secularism is a faith or a belief system all of its own, and you should never forget that. Secular people, they believe, they believe the material universe and material things is all there is. That's what they believe. It's an article of faith for them. And, and if you stop to ponder this, you will begin to see the logical outcome, uh, the life conclusion of secular thinking is this. In the end, all that matters really is me. And that's where almost all people land naturally. And so we, we just live in a culture, don't we, where, where everyone just naturally thinks the purpose of life is, say it with me, me. Scholars who um, have studied history and sociologists who are studying our culture today have uh, labeled this way of thinking and this way of living expressive individualism. I'll put that on the screen so you can see it. Maybe this is the first time. It's not a, a brand new concept. It's been out for a while, uh, but I think it might help you begin to think about some things. And again, we don't have the time today to explore this in depth, but uh, we're gonna get back to it in the days ahead. I really think it's important. But I wanna just say today, expressive individualism is everywhere. It's in here. It's inside all of us to some extent. It's like the air that we breathe. And if you have ever said or thought or believed something like, you know, you just gotta be true to yourself or you gotta follow your heart or I just have to find myself, you have been influenced or shaped in some way by expressive individualism. And some of you are going, what's wrong with that? Oh, that's the, my point. I just will challenge you, you can find that in the Bible, and when you do, let me know. 
sometimes, sometimes we say, you be you, and we do it kind of ironically. We're making fun of somebody a little bit, but you know, most people think you be you. That's the central purpose of life, right? See, our, our world is telling us, our culture tells us that humans are inherently good, and many of us believe that despite the fact that the Bible says exactly, precisely the opposite. Our world says the highest good in life is individual freedom and self-expression. And many of us believe that despite the fact the Bible says the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our world says that the most important value is tolerance for everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and and self-expression. The Bible nowhere says anything remotely close to that. And here's the thing, all of us, and I'm including me, all of us have been impacted by this, this way of thinking, expressive individualism. I've called it the air we breathe. Let's call it this one. If you're, a, if you're more of a, a, an ocean person, it's the ocean we swim in. You know, we don't even know the water's there. Many of us even have redefined church according to expressive individualism. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, well, I didn't get anything out of that for my life tomorrow, maybe you've been influenced by this way of thinking. See, what happens to us at church is supposed to be about improving my life, helping me solve my problems, making my life better, helping me on my journey. It's defined in terms of me, not in terms of God, right? And what I hope that you're picking up as I'm talking about this in the context of Psalm 1 is how this kind of thinking makes it very, very hard for us to say no to the world's way. Now, I've introduced expressive individualism along with these other categories just to to alert us to some of the ways that the world can draw us away from God's way, some of the ways that we can be prevented from finding true happiness, true blessing, walking in God's blessing. And and there's so much more we could talk about. We don't have time today, but I wanna encourage you kind of to apply what we've been seeing so far. I wanna encourage you to regularly pray and regularly ask God And by this, I mean to write what I'm saying down, okay, just in case you haven't gotten that yet, what I'm about to say. I want you to pray something like this. God, am I saying yes in any way to any of the world's attitudes, actions, and advice? Are you willing to pray that prayer and to listen to the Spirit when he tells you what what's going on, you need to pray, God, help me to say no. These should be things you're praying if you're gonna be walking in God's blessing. Here's a second way we need to look if we're gonna walk in God's blessing. You need to look up. Uh, You need to look up. And by this, uh, the psalmist tells us that we are to practice meditation on God's way, or on God's word. Uh, Instead of listening to the world and what the world says, if we wanna walk in blessing, we need to turn to God, turn to God's wisdom, 
And where do we find God's wisdom? Well, we find it in the Bible. We find that in the Holy Scriptures. Verses two and three say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, here's what I want you to see. Do not miss the contrast the psalmist is making right here. He is comparing, catch this, someone who walks, stands, and sits with someone who delights. And here's what he's pointing out, I think. He's telling us that no one is wicked out of duty. No one sins out of duty. No one mocks out of duty. Why do people do those things? Because they want to. It feels good to do that. They, they like it. Those things bring them pleasure and delight. That's why they do it. That's why we do it. And so what he's really doing is he's contrasting one kind of delight with another kind of delight. And what that means is this. You can write this down. We are to find pleasure in God's word. We are to delight in God's law. Now, some of you are probably thinking the main point of this sermon is kind of like what Dr. Horge was telling you last week. You know, uh, here he is again, Pastor Mike. He's always like harping on this thing. You gotta read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. I am. But that's not what I want you to take primarily and only from this message. This is not about just ramping up, you know, your duty. This is more about what the psalmist is saying here. It's more about delight. It's more about, about pleasure. We're to delight in God's law. Now, the word law, uh, which is from the Hebrew word Torah, Torah means, it means literally direction or it means instruction. It can refer to a single command. Here, it's referring to the whole, the entirety of Scripture. And if you're underlining or marking, you might want to underline, circle, highlight the word delight. And it's just telling us true happiness does not come from checking off boxes on a Bible reading plan. Although I believe in that and I checked some boxes off this morning, that's part of my discipline. Nothing wrong with checking off some boxes if you go beyond checking off some boxes. This is, this is about delight far more than duty. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And delight, it means things like to desire. It means to place value on something. And I think we all know, we, we all know, don't we, what it means to delight in something. I was trying to think of an example of what this would be that I could explain this to you. And you know, the, the example that came to my mind this week is grandchildren. Now, if you didn't know, our fourth grandchild arrived a few days ago. And uh, she was born in St. Louis. She's a sweet little girl named Ramona, Lydia. And we have a picture of her that I wanted to show you, a couple pictures of her. Exactly. She's beautiful, right? You better say amen or I'm gonna preach longer. So, you know, I mean, here, here's the thing, and, and I got another picture too, I gotta show you. So here's another one of Charlie, uh, big brother holding his little baby sister, and you should just know that Dan and I are flying out to St. Louis to see them this week. And, and also you should know, since I delight in all four of my grandchildren, I have to show you more pictures. Here's, <laughs> this is Lily, who's just turned two, 
and this is Jackson, who's about six months old right now. And I have lots more pictures for those of you who wanna see. I'll be in a line, a receiving line, <laughs> out in the lobby after the service. So, here's what delight means for me right now. See, I kinda think that part of my job as a papa is to embarrass my wife by showing as many people as I can corner pictures of all my grandkids. Now, why would I be so obnoxious and not care? Because I delight in my grandkids, right? See, if you wanna live in God's blessing, it flows out of a delight in God's word. What is it in your life that brings you delight? What is it that makes you excited? And how you answer that question, and some of you need to get honest with yourself about what the answer to that is. How you answer those questions, it reveals what is most important to you. Pastor Warren Wearsby wrote a few years ago, whatever delights us, directs us. Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Are you finding pleasure in God's word? Here's the second thing you need to do uh, to delight in God's word and walk in his blessing. You need to fill your mind with God's word. Here's the thing. Delight always leads to meditation. It says, on his law, he meditates day and night. Here's the point. We naturally think on the things that delight us, right? We don't have to be told to spend time thinking about the things that get us all excited. Our minds just go there. In fact, if you really delight in something, I mean a lot, a lot, a lot, sometimes we call it an obsession or a compulsion. So what's meditation? What's being talked about here? Well, this word, the Hebrew word meditation, it literally means to mutter, uh, to speak. It's kind of like someone who's, you know, speaking to themselves in a low voice. They're kind of going over something over and over and over again. When, when it's done, when meditation is done in our hearts, it's called musing, pondering. And so in a sense, you could say it like this. Meditating on the word of God means, day and night, means that you're speaking to yourself the word of God day and night, and you're speaking to yourself about the word of God day and night. This word, meditate, has sometimes been translated with another English word. It's the word ruminate. And for those of you who have grown up around Tracy, you may already know what this means. It's a word that's used about what a cow does, you know, when a cow chews its cud. You ever seen cows chewing their cud? You know, it's kind of slowly doing that. If you haven't, if you haven't seen that, just look at maybe your teenager chewing gum and you'll kind of get the idea. And maybe you know that the cows have four stomachs. And what happens as they try to digest the hay or the grass, which is really tough and fibrous, is they, they chew on it for a while and then they send it on down to stomach number one where it gets digested a little bit back and then they bring it back up. Erp, I, I'm not sure how you describe that, but they bring it back up and they chew on it a little more and then it goes down to stomach number two and then they repeat that a third and a fourth time. And some of you are saying right now, well, that sounds gross, but that's how we get ice cream. So just relax, okay? <laughs> so that's what ruminate is. You take a thought and you chew on it a little bit. 
You send it down to the subconscious level where your mind kind of processes and works on it. You bring it up, you think about it consciously again, you send it down again. You just do this over and over and over again and you do it because contrary to like chewed grass, this really tastes good. Uh, J.I. Packer uh, in his book, a great but classic book, Knowing God, uh, has a paragraph on meditation that I wanted to read to you. I'm gonna put it on the screen so you can follow along. He says, meditation is the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, and applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works and ways and purpose and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communication with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. That definition and description should clear up any misgivings you have about meditation because you've only thought of it in an Eastern sense where Eastern religions, in in Eastern religions, meditation means you empty your mind. For some of you, that doesn't take very long. Maybe, I don't know. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. Meditation, biblically speaking, is when we fill our minds with the word of God and we ponder the word of God I wanna say something real practical about meditation. You must memorize to meditate. You you cannot meditate day and night unless you've memorized scripture. Why? Well, you have a job, okay? And there are other things that God calls you to do and you cannot sit in front of an open Bible all day and God doesn't even call you to do that but you can take God's word with you wherever you go, whatever you're doing. If you have memorized it at any moment that you choose, you can bring that word to mind and you can think about it. You you memorize God's word. We've been encouraging you all summer to memorize uh, verses from the Psalms that we've been looking at. Today's challenge for you is is, uh, verses one and two. Um, I tried to get it to one, but you really couldn't get what, the point is without both of those verses together. And so I wanna encourage you, if you haven't started working on any verses so far, start today. These are all in the app. You can go back and catch up with the ones that have been in previous weeks if you would like to, but you need to fill your mind with God's word, amen? Amen. Here's the third thing, fight for delight in God's word. You know, I said earlier that um, experiencing blessing, God's blessing, walking in that, it requires us to choose. And by this, I mean it never happens by accident. By this, I mean it only always happens with intentionality. And and I'm gonna draw from uh, this idea from that phrase, he is like a tree planted. Underline, circle, highlight the word planted. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is not a tree that a seed just blew in on the wind and landed and somehow got started. Somebody planted it there. Somebody put it there next to the stream of water. 
This phrase, uh, streams of water, also, I think, makes this even clearer. And the Hebrew word here uh, is translating something that we're very familiar with where we live. It's actually the ancient uh, word for uh, irrigation canal. And we see those all around us. There's some right out there, right over there. They're all around our our church. So this is an intentional action where you are putting your life in a place to get God's word into your heart. You're fighting for that. And I wanna tell you something about what's going on here that I think will unpack this because like, like I said earlier, you might find yourself thinking, okay, the point of this message, I just gotta read the Bible more. Well, that's true, but not all that I'm saying. Um, in the context that is here, the psalmist, of course, would have been thinking of the law of Moses, the law that God had, had given them that told them here's who God is and here's how you can please God and here's how you can know God. And yet, the beautiful thing is for us on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, we have all of the scriptures to look at. And so therefore, for Christ's followers, delighting in the law of the Lord is delighting in the entirety of God's word and if you read, if you delight in God's word, you read it, you study it, you, you memorize it, you meditate on this book, here's what you come to find out. This book is about a person. And his name is Jesus. It's about Jesus. The law of the Lord is about Jesus from beginning to end pointing to the God-man, who, who, by the way, said in the Sermon on the Mount that he came in order to fulfill the law. And so that means a call to delight in the law of the Lord is a call to delight in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus. It is a, a call to delight in the reality that God sent his only son, And he sent Jesus into our sin-sick, broken world to show us the Father, to die for our sins, to rise again from the grave, to defeat sin and death and give us the promise of eternal life. To delight in God's word is to delight in the hope that one day all sickness will be healed, all suffering will cease, and all evildoers will be brought to justice. See, this is where we find our happiness, delighting in Jesus, who, who, by the way, is the one truly happy man. Think about it. If, if the truly happy man, the truly blessed man is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, then Jesus is the only truly happy man because he's the only one who's never done any of these things. Let's just get one thing clear. Who has ever done at least one of these things and all three probably last week? Would you raise your hand? All right, you're gonna have to bring up the sermon online. Either that or I'm not communicating clearly. We've all done those things, only Jesus has not, right? Therefore, only Jesus is truly happy. Therefore, delighting in God's word is delighting in Jesus. Not just reading a book, it's meeting a person. Do you wanna know Jesus? Do you wanna love Jesus? This is what it means to delight in God's word. Now, the psalmist tells us that this delight 
results in three things, and it says we experience fruitful lives, we, we, uh, we, we experience fruitfulness that blesses both us and others. He tells us we live these durable, stable lives where, you know, uh, life-giving in season, out of season, we're able to weather life's storms and trials. He says we experience prosperity, and by which the psalmist means ultimate eternal prosperity, and again, I just want you to notice, not miss with the contrast the psalmist is making. He's not just saying, don't be wicked, don't sin, don't mock. He is going straight to the deepest level of motivation, which is our unending desire to be happy and to be blessed. This is where he's, he's taking us. We're all, you see, we're all being shaped every day by something. Do you know that? Whatever you expose your mind to, that's shaping you. You're all being, you could put it this way, discipled by something. Are you discipling your mind in a way that leads to blessing? And, and again, I mean, I, I know this may just feel like a drum, drum that I keep beating on, but I have to keep asking us, what are we exposing our hearts and our, our minds to? You know, if it is far more about social media than scripture, uh, John Piper once said that in the final judgment, the purpose of Facebook and Twitter, and he, he actually wrote this before Instagram showed up and TikTok showed up, and so you can throw those and whatever else is gonna appear in the next few years. He said, the purpose of these things in eternity will be to prove that prayerlessness was never the result of a lack of time. And the point is, Far, far too many of us spend far more time on things like that than we do on God's word. Amen? These things are shaping us, and so we need to spend time because when you spend time on things, it's just how life works. You know, the more you think about things, the more you want them, and we meditate on those things, though we don't describe it that way. We're just thinking about them, and the more you meditate on stuff, the more you delight in those things. And you, know, you just start by looking at all the stuff the world produces, and you look at it, and you think about it so much that you want it, and you're gonna give your life for it, and you find yourself walking and then standing and sometimes even sitting and you find yourselves not being blessed. So delight comes from significant focusing and looking and thinking and lingering and, and meditating on the, the word of God. And you gotta fight for it. Are you fighting? Let me real quickly give you the last thing. If you're gonna walk in God's blessing, you have to look ahead. You have to see life from an eternal perspective. And the psalmist has been telling us the way to walk and to live. And what he does now is he shows us the alternative. He says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but the contrast I think you can see is very stark where the blessed person is fruitful and stable and prosperous, the wicked person is like, like chaff, just the worthless, useless husks of grain that the wind just blows away. You can't even feed it to the animals. 
And again, we need to think about this. Why are the wicked like this? And it's not, it is not primarily because they're all evil and hateful. It's not because they never do anything kind to anyone else. It's not because they don't invent great things or write great novels or paint great paintings or act in incredible movies or express their God-given creativity in a thousand other ways. Wicked people, biblically defined, have done all these things and so much more. The basis for the psalmist's judgment on their life's worth and use is that everything they do is temporary. Everything they do, it's not about God, so it only lasts for this life. When they're dead, it's all gone. It's all over. See, the Bible has a different perspective than we do in our culture today. We think it's all for today. It's all for right now. The Bible says, no, you gotta look ahead. You gotta see life from an eternal perspective. I want you to think about something. You know, some of you are good at planning, right? And some of you are future-oriented and you really do a good job of thinking down the road. And maybe you think down the road 20, 10 or 20 years. Some of you, you started planning for retirement 30, maybe even 40 years before retirement. I mean, most people don't think more than a few weeks down the, the road, but here's the point. The Bible, the Bible is telling you, friends, listen to me, 30 years is not enough. The Bible would say, you need to look ahead 30 million years. You need to look at life from the perspective of eternity. That's when you will see true reality. And that highlights the ultimate problem with walking in the world's ways. It has no roots. It doesn't last. It does not produce anything ultimately. And what it, a tragedy it is for people to spend their whole lives on earth as chaff and then they die and they amount to nothing. It's all gone. Verse five reminds us, don't miss it. There's a future judgment. Another reality that the world mocks. A lot of people say, maybe you're even thinking right now, there's no judgment. That's just stuff preachers use to scare people. Well, just saying that doesn't make it true. God's word tells us judgment is coming. And the only hope any of us has is Jesus. And we will only survive judgment if we are in him because of his death and life. When verse five says the wicked will not stand in the judgment, it means they won't be able to endure the judgment. Because when the books are opened, these individuals will be flung to their knees, finally, in confession of sin and in the truth of God's word and in the reality of God's son. And in a horrifying moment, they will discover that everything they trusted in has failed them and failed them eternally. But when we delight in God's word, when we delight in Jesus, when we walk in his ways, when we live for him, walking in his blessing, we will experience what verse six says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Some of you have a translation in verse six where that word watches is translated by the word know, and this word means that, that God knows his people intimately, that he watches over us, that he cares for us. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, the Lord knows those who are his. Jesus said, I know my sheep. And that we can live knowing that God is watching over us now and he'll watch over us every day of our lives as we are delighting in his word and, and walking in his blessing. He'll watch over us until that day that he calls us home. 
and we're finally and forever free. The Lord knows our ways. He wants us to delight in him and his word because he wants us to walk in his blessing. Let me just ask you today, is the psalmist in Psalm 1 describing the life that you are living now? And if he's not, what is God the Holy Spirit through his word that he inspired telling you you need to do? Would you listen to that? Would you obey that? Would you allow God to change your heart and fill you with the light in who he is and in what he's spoken so that you can walk in his blessing? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads right now and we're gonna pray.